Why don't you open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1. I promise I'm not going to be super long because I know we've taken time to just be with each other and come around these beautiful pieces of art. But um, this is my favorite time of year. I was just saying to somebody, like, not just Christmas, but the whole Advent piece, the beginning of the church calendar. Uh, I have grown over the last number of years into more of a reflective way of living my life. And that means uh, trying to follow certain practices and rhythms in the church calendar. And so today is like really the first Sunday in the church calendar. Happy New Year. Advent is the season in the, in the liturgical church calendar where we just kind of ramp up to Christmas. Christmas in the church calendar is actually 12 days, not just one day, but 12 days of celebrating Christmas. And this is an, an important rhythm. And this story in Luke chapter 1, you've heard me talk about it a little bit if you've been a part of the City View or Praxis story the last little while. But I think it's just, it's a wonderful reminder, one, of how Luke opens up his gospel. Two, as well, I think is just the reality of what this means, this Jesus story means, and how people began to anticipate it, and what the gospel writers are trying to get us to see as they record this and then pass it on, and here we are a couple thousand years later. So I'm going to read, we're going to read a little bit, but this is like one of my favorite stories. It, it opens up by this, like this. Luke says this, verse 5, in the time of King, <coughs> in the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah. Okay, so just remember that name, Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Now that matters because who were the people that were the priests in the temple? They were through the line, if you know the Old Testament, of Aaron. So both Zechariah, Zach, and his wife are in this line. We're going to learn here that Zechariah is actually working in the temple. He is a priest. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the laws and commands and decrees blamelessly. But here's the deal with these people. Though they were righteous and blameless, they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Have we heard this before, Bible readers? Have we heard this from a guy named Abraham who had many sons and many, eventually had many sons, and his name is Father Abraham? So... If you're reading this, right, as a Jewish reader, like the lights are going off on your dashboard. This is not in a vacuum. The writer here, okay, something is happening. All right, verse 8. Uh, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot. Now this is awesome. So that what they would l legitimately do is you would get on a rotation uh, uh, doing sacrifices in the temple. So it was Zechariah's turn, chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn, uh, uh, to burn incense. And when the time came for burning of incense, when that time came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So this is the thing. They're outside the temple. He's in there doing his thing. But then, and then he would have done this regularly. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Imagine an angel. So we think, uh, for many of us in this room, when we think of angels, we think of touched by an angel, uh, angels, or I think of angels in the outfield. We think of these kind of like the Philadelphia cream cheese lady sitting on a cloud, right? We think of these things. Every time a freaking angel comes to somebody in the New Testament, what, what do they do? They freak out, right? So we have our kind of classic Western picture. The angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense, and when Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. 
But the angel said to him, because this is what angels have to do, because people freak out. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will call him John, who we would know later became known as John the Baptist. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, for he will be great. He is never to take wine or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous." to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this angel, who's scary, by the way, again, comes to Zechariah. He's like, what is going on? And listen to his response. So Zechariah asks the angel, kind of in his fear, how, how can I be sure of this? Right? Like, I'm an old man, Wombleminky, Viagra, right? That was funny, no? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Tried all the options, right, in old age, right? And my wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news and now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Ladies, this is like the best news of all time, right? Because not only is Elizabeth going to have a baby that's really good for her, she's going to have a baby in old age, but her husband was going to be unable to speak for nine months. And I know if Heather was in the room, she'd be like, how do I get in on this, right? And I don't, I don't even talk that much. The point is this. You may read that. You may open that up a couple, couple thousand years later and go, cool, it feels like Christmas is coming. It feels like Jesus is on the scene, like this is how the gospels open. And that is absolutely true. But there's something happening here. We're going to see in a minute what Luke is doing is he's contrasting this story of Zechariah to something else. Now, I want you to remember with me that Zechariah was like what you wanted to be in Jewish culture. One, he was older, which in that kind of realm meant that he was wise in that culture. He was male, and don't throw stones, this is not me saying this, it's just the culture of the day, is that in this patriarchy that the, the man had authority, right? So he's a, 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 an older male, but not only that, he is a priest in the temple. He's religious, so he's wise, he has authority, and he's religious. This is the guy you want to be as far as the stories of Israel, and this is kind of, the, kind of the prototype of the type of person you want to be like. What's fascinating is how he responds to the news of this child, and sometimes we break these stories up, we just stop there, but the story doesn't actually stop here. In the same chapter, if you keep reading these verses, which we're going to do, there's news that another baby would come to this peasant girl named Mary. Read with me, verse 26. Skip down a little bit. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, right? So we just talked about that story. God sent the angel Gabriel, same angel, to Nazareth, uh, the town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And because angels are freaky, what, what happened? Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, listen, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. 
He will be great and we will be called the, he will be called the son of the most high, which is straight out of Isaiah. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now listen, listen to Mary's posture compared to Zacharias. Listen to what she says. How will this be? How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who has said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. Goes on, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. She receives this with faith and then the angel left her. Voila, right? I have just been thinking just about just the whole reality of this beautiful story over and think about it with me. Zechariah, old, he's wise. He's male, he holds authority in that culture. He was a priest in the temple and he was religious. And this story is actually being kind of contrasted with the story of Mary. Now let's talk about Mary just for a second. Probably 12 or 13 years old, we think. A girl in that culture, right? So the, the, the kind of the gender dynamics that were going on that, in that culture. And not only that, she was a Galilean peasant. Later on, the Gospels would talk of Jesus. Like, can anything good come from Nazareth, right? This was the backwoods. Uh, you, you think of Jerusalem as the center of everything, the metropolitan city where all the, the upsters were, right? Like, this is the place you wanted to be, not out in the backwoods. This little peasant girl. And Zechariah, what Luke is doing here is contrasting Zechariah's response to this news, to news, compared to Mary's. Listen to Zechariah's words. How can I be sure of this? Right? How, I, I'm, how many of us in this room are like this? I need assurance. I need to see it with my own eyes. I will not believe it until it's in front of me, right? I need assurance. And Mary's posture was, how will this be? How's this going to happen? I receive it. Luke is setting up two contrasts here, and we should not miss it. That actually the, the person who should have received the message with faith didn't, and in that culture, the person who probably, if you were to read about a person like Mary, that probably should have been the one that shouldn't have received it, and this is what Luke is trying to do. Right from the beginning of the gospel, Luke is trying to get us to see, and how beautiful is this for the season of Advent? that this kingdom is completely upside down. And the people that should have received it and understood it at times completely, like just read the gospels. All sorts of people in places and spaces, religious people and Pharisees and people who knew the law by heart. They could say it back to you, Genesis all the way to Malachi, and they miss it. And then this little peasant girl from the backwoods is the one that receives this message. And let's be honest, I know, like, I know people struggle like a lot of Protestants, I know we're not Catholic, but the story of Mary in our own story of bearing the Messiah, in her own humanity bearing the Messiah and receiving this, it's unbelievable. This kingdom is so upside down, so crazy when you think what we're entering into. Like if I were, to, if I were God, would I have done it this way? Probably not. Because I don't know if I'm like you, but sometimes there's this temptation to grasp for power and to look good 
and to be successful and to do things kind of out of a powerful posture. And here we get this story that works its way from the bottom up. I think as Ricky Bobby would say, no golden fleece diapers, are you with me? No, no golden fleece baby Jesus diapers, right? This story is completely upside down. And so one of the things we have to grapple with is just the, the reception of revelation, right? Uh, Scott Erickson in his uh, reflections, and you'll read this if you join in with us starting this week, he says, in any divine annunciation, you, you receive revelation as a get, gift. Yet at the same time, you receive notice that all that you had planned on doing is ending. It's all over. Everything will change. When you receive this revelation, everything will change. Most of all, you. And think about it for a second. Is that not true when you look at the contrast of Zechariah and Mary? Everything you planned is ending, right? So think about Zechariah and all his religious duties. We know that eventually this temple would be destroyed, this place where God's presence dwelled, it was coming to an end, this kind of religious system was coming to an end, and that you and I would be the temple. Isn't it true that when you receive this divine annunciation or this divine revelation, things begin to change. You get to the end of yourself. Everything you sometimes had planned and even dreamed of comes to an end. Think about Zechariah. He would be jobless in the future because Paul would later write that now when you guys, when we get together, we are the temple of God. We are where the Holy Spirit dwells. And think of Mary. Though she was a peasant girl, I'm sure she wasn't assuming that she would give birth to the Messiah. Like that's not something you wake up with in like Jewish culture, even at the time. Think, you know what I, you know, one of my goals, I'm just going to write it on my like life goal board is to like give birth to the Messiah. Think about her her, think about her story, the dynamic that she experienced being a 12 or 13-year-old, trying to explain to people, I know we have some kids in the room, but like trying to explain to people, I'm pregnant, but like nothing, you ever think through just the logistics of this story, I'm pregnant, but nothing happened? Oh, yeah, it was the Holy Spirit, right, I'm sure it was, right? Like, think about that dynamic. And so Zachariah comes, and he wants assurance, how can I be sure of this? And Mary is simply, how will this be? Because revelation is transformation you're not in charge of. That's what Erickson says. Revelation is transformation you're not in charge of. He goes on to say this. Revelation is a hard gift to receive, right? And we're not talking the book of Revelation. We're talking a word from God. You must give up everything else to receive it. Like finding a treasure in a field and selling everything you have so you can get that treasure. And one of the calls for us, I think, as we reimagine and think about this story, and as we enter this Advent season, is just to receive this good news and receive it like Mary did, with faith, with allegiance, with an open posture. Because, again, I've already said, this this season is marked by vulnerability. Think about the vulnerability of the incarnation. No power, no, no military parade like Caesar, a baby coming in human flesh, born in the lowliest of places. And listen, we see this all throughout the Gospels. All throughout the Gospels, we see people connecting with Jesus through their vulnerabilities. Think about the teacher Nicodemus, who was a high religious person, he says, I don't get it. Or the powerful Roman centurion who has no power 
to heal his servant, it has to come to Jesus. The sick woman who has no power to heal her body, uh, the traitorous, uh, tra- traitorous Zac- Zacchaeus who doesn't know how to get back into the family. Our starting point is our weakness. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Our starting point, and I think what a beautiful starting point at Advent, the beginning of Advent, Advent is our vulnerability. The places where you and I, where we're not enough, where we're not doing things right. That's a really, if you've come into the room this morning into a place where you just feel like, man, I feel like my life is a mess and all over the place, that's actually the place in which we start. It started with a peasant girl who would open her life to receiving the Messiah. And think about it. Think about what that does for us a couple of thousand years later. And so as we come to the tables, I want us to just remember and come vulnerable before God with our brokenness, with our weakness, because that's actually the point. This is part of what Advent is all about. If you didn't hear, in the songs we sang this morning, we're very, very intentional, talking about the kingdom coming, talking about this great reign of the king. We begin to celebrate that now. This is the first week of Advent. This is where we begin to shift our minds and our hearts to the coming king. And here's the thing, here's I think one of the things that we have for the world, is that whether or not we like it, and sometimes we wrestle through this, the kingdom of God is coming to earth as it is in heaven. Craig Keener, a great scholar, he said this, this quote has haunted me in a good way the last couple of years. He says this, the human responsibility to repent, this would eventually be the news that Jesus brought, to repent, to turn around from our own will, to change is not urged so that the kingdom will come, but explicitly because the kingdom is coming whether we turn or not. That is to say, we do not bring the kingdom by our turning, we suffer the kingdom's coming, either blessedly by going to our knees, right? By going to our knees in vulnerability and bringing our lives before God, or banefully by turning our backs. Here comes God's new world, he says. Turn around and face it. I think this is a moment for us this morning. God's new world is breaking into this one. And it comes through a little baby who grew to be obviously a man. But God's new world is coming and we need to turn around and face it. And so that's the call this morning. I just feel, feel like a really simple call. Like maybe some of you are like me, grew up in church. You know all the Sunday school stuff. You grew up with the flannel board. You know the right things to say at Christmas time and kind of the right things to do, right? The religious, you're probably, some of you in this room like myself are a little more like Zacchaeus than we are Mary. But what if we came to the table this morning humbling ourselves in this posture of, God, I'm giving you my life. I'm coming in my brokenness. I'm coming in my weakness that God's good world, the new world is coming, turn around and face it.